So we've just sung some very uh, relevant words to our conversation today. Be thou my vision, O ruler of all. And it really becomes the theme of authority. It becomes the, the connecting point of authority. We've been having conversations about authority for, uh, gosh, a, a month or so. And really, authority has a lot to do with how you view things, if you think about it. So, for example, let's say you're going to get healthy, and you're going you're gonna to start reading the labels on the food that you purchase in the uh, grocery store. And so there's, there's different phases of understanding. So you may say, I'm surprised, actually, that, you know, if you say, hey, do you know eating this kind of hydrogenated uh, oils and stuff is not good for you? And there's a lot of people, uh, maybe a lot of people sitting here today are like, I didn't know that. I had no idea. So there is this stage that you don't know. I think that stage is the happiest stage. You know what I'm saying? You, you don't know. <laughs> You don't even know what's right or wrong. It's like, hey, I'm just having, it just tastes good. And so you're not even feeling guilty about it. But then you read an article or you see, you know, something on the, uh, on the, the news or you see something that says, man, eating this kind of stuff is not really great for you. You should start, you know, reading the labels, et cetera. Then you got to have a choice at that point, fun or no fun, right? And so you're, you're looking at this and and then there's a, there comes a point in time where you say, I don't know if that's true or not. It's how you look at it. This, you know, it's, it, it's a view of someone who knows more than we do, you know, uh, that has done all this study on what you should eat or how fast you should drive or should you text or not or any of that. And how you view it is going to determine probably if you're going to do it or not. Would you agree? It is very true in our spiritual lives. We're going to land today in a very critical moment in the history of the Old Testament and the history of uh, the, the nation of Israel, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Let me give you a, a background of this as you're hopefully turning there or, or, or uh, swiping there on your device or whatever that might be. If you don't have uh, either one of those, we'll have the, the verses up here on the, on the screen. What was happening in the nation of Israel is that when you have, you, you have the first five books of the Bible, uh, the first book is really the beginning, obviously, that God created heaven and earth, and then he begins to interact with human beings. He then begins to, he starts with the patriarch Abraham and then begins to create a nation from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jacob's sons and then Joseph is one of those sons and uh, long story short, they all, they all end up in Egypt, not their permanent home. The book of Exodus then begins in the book of Egypt and, and uh, then Moses is called onto the scene to rescue the people that who for hundreds of years now have been oppressed in this foreign country, foreign for them. And then what you see in the next uh, four books are really is, is this massive move, this exodus, so to speak, from Egypt into where their, their permanent land was going to be the promised land. Uh, when we get to the end of that fifth book, Deuteronomy, we find that Moses, who's led this whole charge since the, since the very beginning of the book of Exodus, is not allowed to go in. 
And so we begin then the sixth book of the Bible is the book of Joshua. And Joshua is the young protege of Moses, and he's the guy now that's going to take them into the promised land. And then they get to the promised land, and they're going to set up the rule of government. They were not a democracy. They were not a monarchy. They were not a dictatorship. They were what's considered a theocracy, that God was their king. Over time, however, they began to look at, you know, the grass that's greener, always greener on the other side. Other nations had kings. They thought that was a, a grand idea. God kept trying to say, not a grand idea. You'd rather have me in charge than a human being in charge. Over, over that period of time, they had what was called, were called judges. They, and so following the book of Joshua, we have the book of Judges. And these really were the spiritual leaders that were listening to God. So they weren't like a king or a president or a dictator or a prime minister. They were really were God's mouthpieces, like a, like a prophet, so to speak. And so then you, you have the book of, uh, of Judges. But then they wanted a king. Everybody wanted a king. And so after arm wrestling with God, God finally exercised his permission for our free will. This is who God is. And said, okay, if you want a king, then you're going to have a king. The first king's name was Saul. And this is where we land today. There's something that happened in Saul's life that we're going to see this inner transition. And this inner transition is very relevant for us because how we see things, our vision, as we've just sung, how we see things will determine whether God is ruler of all or not. If he is really the determiner of our choices, the determiner of our ambitions, the determiner of our spending, of our private life. In other words, is God, does, are we, will we allow God to have authority and how that begins to break down? All right, here we go. Uh, um, we, we begin, let me give you a backdrop of this story. So in 1 Samuel chapter 15, God gives a command that makes people question the Bible, quite frankly. They question the Bible because of these types of events that happen. And this, the type of event that I'm talking about is that God would give instruction to the Israeli armies to go into a city, a community, and wipe the entire thing out. So that's naturally difficult to reconcile that the Bible is about a God of love, and yet this then that he then asked his army, his nation, his, his people to go in and wipe out an entire other nation or a community. And I would think like, oh, I'm glad we're going to talk about this because you may have had people challenge the word of God and openly ask, how, did, how could that happen? But here's the crux of the whole matter. When people tell us we shouldn't eat hydrogenated oil, it's because they've studied it more than we have. When they have asked, when, when there are certain, when your speed limit in your neighborhood is 35 miles an hour, that's because someone has studied that. And often our actions are going to be, do we trust that person who has set those, that, those rules and they understood something we didn't, or are we going to do our own thing? So God asked Saul to lead the charge to the city where this people were called the Amalekites. 
The Amalekites were historic enemies of Israel, and they had proven over and over and over again that they were ruthless, that their, their worship was uh, full of debauchery, uh, their, their lifestyle was uh, way out of bounds and a uh, very unhealthy lifestyle. They offered children uh, as sacrifices to their false gods. I mean, on and on and on and on. Exodus chapter uh, 17, by the way, the Amalekites come, and when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt and they were really worn out, the Amalekites, they went after the feeble, the old, those who were weak, those who were tired, and they wiped them out. They were enemies. Having said that, doesn't Jesus say, love your enemies? And yet, here we are with God asking Saul to wipe out not only the people, the king, the livestock, the sheep, the cows, the chickens, everything. Wipe it all out. And so when you go deeper, there was actually a loving reason why God asked the people to do that. Because of what was going on, if it was not stopped, then other, many, many other people would have been hurt. So there is, a, there is a deeper, more parental understanding of where God wants. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, read from a commentary uh, as we get into this, because I think I don't want you scratching your heads the entire time saying, why would God do that? So well, let's settle that, and then we'll jump into First Samuel. The influence of these nations left unchecked would ultimately lead to the death of many more innocent people. Often, infected cattle or poultry are destroyed for the purpose of stopping an epidemic, like Ebola or something like that, or the equivalent of that that was just that would kill uh, millions of people and saving vastly more livestock. Likewise, on a spiritual level, left unchecked, these nations would have plagued the world with such depravity that they would have simply but were not redeemable. There, is, there are places in the Bible that say that human beings can go so far that they've seared their conscience and it's very difficult for them to turn, turn around and they began to influence the rest of the world, that they were not redeemable. So as much as it broke the heart of God, the order was given to eliminate these infected nations because God's foreknowledge, he understood how things were gonna turn out. He said, we've got to take care of this now. These are difficult places in scriptures that many would like to skip over. But you begin to understand the profound love of God that he would do such a thing to save many no different than taking his own boy and putting him on a cross so that millions and millions and millions would be saved. You see the point. This is the motive of God. From a human point of view, you think, that's ridiculous. That's because you're not God. Period. That's because you're not God. So we find ourselves in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 9. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 9. But, it's a big word. <laughs> it's always a big word. But Saul and the army spared Agag, that was the king, and kept the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lamb, 
everything that was good. They went and said, let's do this one, this one, this one. That's going to make a good ribeye. That's going to be a T-bone, blah, blah, blah. Let's keep those. Those are the biggest chickens. Those look like KFC. Those are Popeyes. Those are, you know, whatever. And let's keep those. Those are skinny ones. Don't need those. And that, that, that cow doesn't look that great. You know, it looks like White Castle. So, you know, get that out of there, whatever. I'm hoping God has a sense of humor. I always give them permission, hey, you'd strike me dead right now if I did something really wrong. So they spared the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat and the calves, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to completely destroy, but everything that was despised and weak, they destroyed. Of course they did. Why? What you're seeing is total, natural, human eyes that they're looking through. They have now, they've done something that's going to be the key to, to our time together. Watch this. What they've done is, the, the point of authority is about how you look at things and what size you give to them. Okay? Watch this. The instruction from God, that's the authority. It was big. But then they came into the territory and they said, you know what, that king, I don't know. Uh, and there are reasons. When you read the story, he did this good, he did that good. And through their own reasoning, they made their idea and their vision, their thoughts, bigger than the, than the rule of God, than the instruction of God. You see that? It is about size. So when we say, oh, I, I know that God said this, but... Those sheep look awful good. Those poultry look awful good. That agag doesn't seem all that bad. Then what we've done is that we've reversed the size of the order. Make sense? Now our instruction, our thoughts, our vision, our understanding becomes larger than God's. Now, if we say that outright, it's like, no, 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 no. But in action, it's really what has taken place. Our thoughts are bigger than God's thoughts, right? Now, listen, I'm a parent. I have two teenagers. We were t- my wife and I were talking just this morning. When they're little ones, you know, when they're two or three, the reason they cry and they fuss and they push back, it's just because they, they, they're, they're wanting what they want, and it's all about, I, I want this more, right, than you're saying I can't have the candy. I want that candy, and so I'm going to. As they get older, it's because they think they know. <laughs> you have one, I can tell. <laughs> right? I was the same way. My mom said be in, at home at 10, 10 p.m. 10 p.m.? We're just getting started at 10 p.m. Like, what's 10 p.m.? You know, this... No, 12, nothing's happening bad between 10 and midnight, so I'll do midnight, right? My thought, I thought that I knew more than what my mom knew. Not just because of what I want, because of what I thought I knew. And so now he says, I'm not going to do that. And so in the next verse, in verse 10, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, who was the prophet. He said, I'm grieved that I've made Saul king. Because he turned away from me, and he's not carried out my instructions. In other words, he miniaturized my instructions. Now, I could use the word disobedience, 
there's kind of this natural, I don't want to talk about that, disobedience. So that's why I'm using a bit of a different language today. It's resizing. How about that? It's resizing the instructions of God. Samuel was troubled. And he cried out to the Lord all that night. Watch this. Here's the difference. As Samuel cried all night long because he was troubled, because the word of God was large in his life, Saul slept like a baby that night, thinking it's been a good day. It's been a real good day. Smell that chicken cooking. Man, that was a good one, wasn't it? That was a good fight. Hey, hey, gag, you want a piece of chicken? See how that goes? And we think in our mind that it was, it was a great day. This was the real issue, a resizing. Now watch what happens in verse 12. Early in the morning, Samuel got up. You'll notice it didn't say he woke up. He got up. He'd been awake all night because we just read he cried out to God all night. I'm guessing he's serious. Have you ever stayed up all night? <laughs> You're not much in the mood for jokes. So he got up and he went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone to Gilgal. This is the crux of what happens when we resize the instructions of God. That it does come down to us. It comes down to, I'm going to kind of resize myself and make a monument to myself because what I have done has been so wonderful. It's crazy, isn't it? In the Garden of Eden... I'm, I'm, I'm always intrigued of what was going on in Eve's mind when the enemy, Satan, came into the garden and said, did God really say that? Because, see, if you eat this, you'll, you'll know as much as your parents will know. And just think in that moment, there had to be somewhere along the line. I mean, she might have said, oh, no, 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 wait. And, there, you know, we don't get the whole dialogue. No, wait. But somewhere in the mind, she goes, huh, that would be pretty cool. That would be pretty neat. And then, man, if I knew that much, I could set up a monument for myself. And the statue of Eve would be erected right here forever and ever and ever. And it does come down to that. There's sometimes that I think we have too high expectations from the world. I do. I think that when we, we get angry with the world for redefining things, redefining God, redefining church, redefining marriage, redefining you know, what's important, I'm like, was, I, I, don't, I don't blame them. I don't blame those who are not Christ followers that don't have God in their life any more than I blame myself for the way I used to think before God infused himself into my life, right? But for those of us who are Christ followers, 
then the game changes because now we read the labels and say, wait a minute, that's not healthy for me. In our culture, we begin to redefine or resize, as believers in Christ, we begin to redefine and resize things, and it's so important to be able to look at them so that we don't come up with our own ideas. I mentioned to you a few weeks ago this, this reading that's in our school system, right? And many of you have asked. It came up in my group yesterday uh, uh, that there's some reading that my kids are having to read that, uh, that we're not asking them to read right now. We're not, they haven't read it, that the, the language is just... Un, if, I, if I put it up on the screen, you'd fire me, tr- truly. And so we're, we're asking, you know, p- people were saying, hey, how is that going? Because we were studying the book of Daniel. Um, and then there are lots of conversations, homeschool, private school, Christian school, public school. And I believe that God, there's pros and cons about all of those. And God uses all of those. We have always felt like missionaries. There are people sitting in our room today because we said we want to be uh, in the public school system and we want to meet families and we want to love them and we want to share the love of Christ with them. And uh, we have great relationships with some of you sitting right in this room uh, because God called us to, to be in the public school. And so we have families and we're not trying to raise a campaign, but when we say, hey, to other moms, my wife, hey, do you man, are you aware of the book that the, the, the summer reading? The answer that we've gotten the entire time is like, no, I wasn't aware of it. Well, check out page 18, 27, 35, 109, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, why? No idea. And then the game changes. So for us as believers, the word of God has to be our game changer. We can't claim ignorance when God has put in front of us the word of God. We, we redefine things as we want them to, that makes it our chickens and our livestock better for us. So we, we say, well, you know, when it comes to spiritual disciplines, let's take spiritual disciplines. When it comes to prayer, well, it's like I don't have to pray that much. And then we see Jesus as modeled in his call for us to pray unceasingly that Christ got away almost every morning alone. And we try, well, let's redefine that. Like God says, no, you're, you're resizing what you think above what God might think. I haven't taught my children to pray. My children have seen me pray. My kids know where to find me in the early mornings. And they'll come and knock on the door of my office. I've got a little corner chair. I've got a little table. I've got some headphones and some, some things that I, is just my personal space. And they know that's dad's space. And they've learned it because they've seen it. This is how we this is how we teach. And when I say I didn't teach my kids to pray, you know what I mean. Like, here's what you ought to do. It's like right here, and you go and do it. But let me show you how to do it. We can't redefine it. We can't allow them to define it on their own because they're not going to get it. 
There are things like giving that we, that gosh, over the years, I'm just fatigued of the conversation. God it's an, owns every single molecule of every single thing in the planet that when we give to God, you'll never hear me say give to God. It's giving back to God. It's his to begin with. And if we say, no, I earned it, I owned it, blah, all that, well, it's just resizing the authority that God has said, I want your very best. I want your first fruits. I want to start with a minimum of 10% at the beginning of the month. I want, I want you to, and then we, at first I'm like, oh, that can't be true, blah, 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 blah. And we have that, and when we look in the word of God, it's like, man, it is, then it becomes a joy to give to God. He said, give joyfully and make sure that you don't let culture resize the authority of God. Coming to church, now it's 1.8 times a month is now the norm. Who said so? That's not the word of God. Hebrews chapter 10, 25, don't stop assembling. Well, I've got a group. Great, keep going. That's not church. We're gathered as the believers of God. We can't redefine, and it seems as generations go from the boomers to Gen Y to millennials, Gen Z and X and everything else. We're running out of letters here. Um, and maybe it's an indicator of crisis coming back. We're at Gen Z. Maybe we're at the <laughs> It's like, hey, you can't redefine that like you want it to be defined. It's resizing. It matters. And it doesn't matter because you understand it. It doesn't matter because you figured it out. It matters because God said so, and he knows a lot more than you and me, period. <laughs> That's authority. Authority is saying, God, I don't know why you told me to wipe the Amalekites out or this nice guy called Agag, but you said it. I'm going to do it. You know more than I do. And then God is honored in that moment. It's because we've grown up culturally. It's because we've grown up, and when you grow up, you think you know more than your parent does. Sometimes we see great movements in Africa, great movements in Africa. We see great movements in, in, in uh, Asia because there's a, there's a deeper sense of humility they haven't gotten so sophisticated that so they're big, so big for their britches that they think they know because they can watch YouTube and listen to podcasts. You know what I mean? It's a dangerous. It's a dangerous thing. We continue in First Samuel chapter fifteen, verse thirteen. Crazy. Watch this. We're going into Christianese right here. When Samuel reached him, Saul, Saul said, "God bless you." <laughs> Fascinating. Fascinating. He said, I've carried out the Lord's instructions. Maybe you didn't get the right memo. But Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of cattle that I hear? What an incredible moment. Okay, this is sobering for all of us, including me. I was on vacation a couple weeks ago. It's good for it. It's always good to get away, isn't it? And I got, a, I got away, and there's something that God said, I want this from you in your life. And I, I sure wish I could say to you, man, God, you betcha. Uh, you can take it right now. 
But by the time I got to the end of my vacation, I'm like, God, you can have that. You can have that. And you think, okay, I get a trophy for that. No, I don't. My life is so much better on the inside. On the inside. Your schedule may not be better. Your bank account may not be better. Your, your whatever that may be may not be better on the outside if you say, I'm going to give, I'm going to serve, I'm going to do whatever those things are. But inside, it will be glorious because you have put God's instructions at the right size. And when they're at the right size, like, oh, that's the way the thing should work, you see? And so watch what happens. Saul says, well, let me explain it to you. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. (laughs) Do you remember? Adam, where are you? What have you done? Well, my wife, she's the one who gave it to me. They spared the best, they spared the best sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord, but we totally destroyed the rest. Stop! That was, I, I love that moment. Stop! Get a hold of yourself, Samuel was saying. Just stop the craziness. You got, you didn't obey the instructions. You built this stupid statue to yourself. You're not even in the place where you ought to be. You're blaming everybody else. Come on, just stop. Does God ever just take you like, stop, like an Etch-a-Sketch? <laughs> You've written it out. You've scrolled it out so perfectly. Just stop. How long are you going to say, I want to serve somewhere? How long are we going to say, hey, man, there's a mission field across this, the, the hallway on Sunday morning, and like, yeah, I probably should, probably should do something, blah, blah, blah. Stop. I probably should give, you know, more, you know, drop more than a few bucks, you know, to God. Stop. All of these things. Should I have to do church this morning, brunch, ocean, lunch, blah, 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 blah. Stop. You see? And it's putting God's instructions in the right size. Not because religion is going to take all your fun, but because there's this inner thing that when God's the right size and you're the right size, man, life is so much amazingly better. Does that make sense? All right, watch this. Okay. Saul, uh, Samuel says this. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night because I was up all night in a prayer meeting. And Saul says, tell me as if he's anxious to hear. Although you were once small in your own eyes, there it is. Did you not become the head of the tribe of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. In other words, when you were small in your own eyes, you were at your best. You were at your best. There's a Gallup poll that, that's come out that begins with, do you believe the label? In 1976, people in my age bracket, which is 50 to 65 years old, 
of us believed that the Bible was the actual word of God, 38%. That's 40%. You could say almost half. Today, those that are in my age bracket is 31%. It's dropped a little bit, 31%. That means roughly a third, one out of three, one out of three. For those that are 18 to 29 years old, in 1976, it was 32%. That's about one out of three that believes the label is the, is the instruction of God. Today, or this Gallup poll was actually taken in 2017, it's probably lower, 2017, it's about one out of 10. For those that are 18 to 29 years old, 12%, 12%. It matters how you view things. Because if you begin with this is not maybe the actual word of God, then everything else is a loss, is a loss. This weekend, 50 years ago, celebrated Apollo 13, Apollo 11, sorry, Apollo 11. And uh, in 1969, I don't know if you've seen more shows throughout the weekend uh, on this. My parents, we lived in Virginia. My parents uh, put us in a car, and we drove to the Kennedy Space Center. So 50 years ago, we were standing there in the Kennedy Space Center, and we saw the launch of Apollo 11. I was 10 years old. My, my brother was 12 years old, and it's, it's, it's embedded in my... I remember the moment I saw the, you know, the, the, this, the, the go up. And so yesterday, we were watching uh, families this history of, uh, of the, the Apollo program, right? And a very interesting history in the Cold War and all that, and Kennedy's dream, and even after Kennedy's assassination, they wanted to carry out, they were honoring that, that dream, and they were really, it was a race of time almost uh, when in the space program. And then Apollo 8 was one that you know, was going to be the first one that broke out of the orbit, and, and it really, uh, and, and it was going to circle the moon. And it actually ended up circling the moon. They orbited the moon 10 times. But the, the, it was, I mean, the, it, when you look at these shows, it was harrowing. I mean, the, you know, behind the scenes, man, they were scrambling. And it, the, they, they had feared, the fear that they had that the Apollo 8 would either crash into the moon uh, or because they had to fire the engine just perfectly or it would circle, almost circle the moon and just go out into outer space forever. So when we, we think now, oh, okay, the big deal, they circled the moon, you know, 10 times. That was a major, 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 major accomplishment. And so when they began to circle the moon, there, this, there was this phenomenon that became unexpected. It's now called Earth Rise. You've seen the picture. It's when these, these three astronauts were coming around, they were looking at the moon, and, and, and then, and then a, a, a cresting in the moon, they saw the Earth from a distance. And suddenly, life had a different size. Everything was in a different perspective. It was Christmas Eve when they were orbiting the moon. And they gave this message. I completely forgot about this message. They gave a message back to Earth. I got to tell you, you know I'm a crier. I was watching that yesterday. My son Wes was on the couch. I couldn't contain myself. I was crying so much. 
because I thought in my lifetime, I was, I, you know, that, that was 68, so I was nine years old. From my lifetime, from nine years old, look how much we've grown up. I want to show you a little clip of what these astronauts did on Christmas Eve, 1968. We are now approaching uh, lunar sunrise, and uh, for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the Earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. There's a lot of times in my life when uh, I've been uh, brought to tears by the, just the power, the immensity, uh, the beauty of what we, what we were doing. And this was one of those days. And God saw that it was good. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth. Come a long way, haven't we? And not always in the best of ways. The year was 1521. It was a pivotal year in the history of the church. There was this young, bold German called Martin Luther. He stood in front of those that could have taken his life and wanted to. He opposed the religious darkness of the dark ages. And he said, this is not how you get to God. And he quoted scriptures about grace. He stood toe to toe and face to face. And he began to quote scriptures because those scriptures were the size that they should have been in Luther's life. They demand it that he recant. They demanded that he take back what he said. They said that we will offer you free or safe travel to and from this hearing. He didn't believe them because of what happened to Jan Hus before. They promised him safe travel and they killed him. There was a, a fake attack on Luther's life after the hearing of his friend Prince Frederick who then took him in this fake kidnap scheme to the castle at Wartenburg where he hid Luther from danger. It's like a made-for-movie story. As Luther stood there face-to-face with those that opposed the word of God, he uttered some words that literally changed the course of history and will change your life if you adopt them. It's about the word of God and the size, the authority that the word has in your life. Not whether you believe it or not, not whether you know it or not, but whether or not you will allow it to have its rightful size to make the decisions in your life. These are the words of Luther. 
Luther said these words in 1521, I am bound by the scripture and my conscience is captive to the word of God. You see his view? It makes a big difference. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for all that you have done in our lives, in our country. There are times, God, where this is a danger when a culture becomes sophisticated. We grow up, so to speak. We're inundated by information, by polls, by, by opinions, God, and they can often become our own, and then we resize the Word of God to where it's more comfortable, and somehow, sometimes unknowingly, we've erected a monument to ourselves. There are sometimes, God, if we were honest with you, that We have chosen the best. In this story, it was livestock, but uh, it can be as so many other things. We've chosen the best positioning for ourselves. And like Saul, somehow didn't even realize it or we've put it on somebody else. So I love the word, Scott, today of the word of Samuel. Stop. Stop. We need it. I need it. We all need it, God, uh, for you to say, stop, stop the crazy thinking. Because you know, God, the, the end, end of the story is unhealthy if we continue to live above your word. And life is profoundly beautiful when we allow the word to be above us and have its rightful place of authority. So Father, I just wonder today who would be here as a Christ follower that would say, wow, I really have resized the Bible and uh, God's desire and will for my life. What an honest prayer that would be. Maybe it's serving or giving or forgiving or, or being or modeling or discipline or Gosh, there's so many layers that you intimately customize, Lord, your voice in our heart. And so I pray, God, for openness to that, to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We pray, God, for those who are learning about you that have come today looking somehow to, to connect spiritually and then they find Christ that you love the world so much, God, that you could see without the sacrifice of Christ, we'd be at our own demise. And so we pray, God, for those who are looking today that they'll realize that Jesus died for each of us, for the human race because of our brokenness and we can't find ourselves to you. That's why you found yourself to us by simply reaching out and saying, God, I need you, I want you, and I'm gonna depend on Christ's sacrifice 
rather than my human effort or our religion to find you, would that be your prayer today? And so God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would find open communication, open doors, open invitation today. Thank you, Father, for the Word of God and all of its marvelous, stunning angles. God, it comes down to a simplicity of the place it will have in our lives. So we thank you for that. And thank you, God, as a parent, you know a lot more than we do. And to that, God, we bow in the name of Christ. Amen.